Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Well, hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, I don't have any comments today, and uh, this is one of those days when it's probably a really good thing. Well, on our last podcast, we did finish uh, discussing the women in Joseph Conrad's novella, Heart of Darkness. And I I did get a, a, a message on it that says... Heart of Darkness is not sexist. So obviously the, the, the person agreed with what we were saying. So, so that's all I got, though. I can't, mm-hmm. I can't read anything else but that. So, so for today's program, I want to begin discussing that Marlowe finally meets Kurt. So now, back with me in the studio today is my partner in literature and my sweet wife. Welcome back, Deborah. Thank you. It's good to be here again. And back with me also is one of my English literature students and my personal assistant, Welcome back, Gabe. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to have you back. So there's a lot we can say here. And so what, what I thought we'd do, and uh, they always worry when I do this, but uh, let's, let's uh, before we actually get to the point where Marlowe actually meets Kurt, because it it's actually turns out to be really disappointing for him, but uh, let's talk somewhat about... Um, Marlowe's musings about Kurtz with his companions on the Nelly before Marlowe even gets to the story about Kurtz. <laughs> okay, so so essentially, uh, if you're using the Bantam book out there, uh, listeners, it'd be we'll start on page 46. Uh, I'm using the Barnes and Noble edition. It's page 71, and so so this is the I, I think the brilliance of the book. This is where we have. The, the other narrator kind of standing in, and then, then uh, Kurtz, uh, you know, gives us his ideas. And so uh, maybe I'll just read a little bit um, to you. Is, uh, maybe I don't have to at this point. But uh, uh, here, here's a quote from page 71. I'll do that. I'll read that to get us started. It says, uh, this is when Marlowe is stuck with the steamship and actually they're actually on their way to get Kurtz but but they're uh, no actually they're not on their way to get Kurtz yet but uh, he hears the manager and the uh, manager's uncle and I know it, that can be confusing sometimes but the the uh, the nephew of the uncle is the manager and the uh, the uncle is is out there getting ivory himself but uh it's his nephew that is the manager. He says, One evening, this is Marlowe speaking, One evening as I was laying flat on the deck of my steamboat, I heard voices approaching, and there were the nephew and the uncle strolling along the bank. Now, I think Conrad is really good at doing this to you. He doesn't tell you who's who. You have to figure it out. You have to kind of to, uh, you know, study into it all. But he, he said... Uh, he said, I laid my head on my arm again and had nearly lost myself in a doze when somebody said in my ear, as it were, I am harmless as a little child, but I don't like to be dictated to. So now remember, uh, this is the manager or the nephew. He says, am I the manager or am I not? 
I was ordered to send him there. It's incredible. I became aware that the two were standing on the shore alongside the forepart of the steamship just below my head. I did not move. It did not occur to me to move. I was sleepy. It was unpleasant, grunted the uncle. He asked the administration to be sent there, said the other, with the idea of showing what he could do, and I was instructed accordingly. Look at the influence that man must have. It was, is it not frightful? So, so uh, essentially, uh, we could start talking about their view of Kurtz. Well, I don't have a very good view of him, obviously. It's, it's like they're um, irritated. Um, it just, you know, the idea, you know, look at the influence he has. So it's kind of like you can hear, imagine people talking about like they're jealous of him and, you know, um, his influence and um, just so they're just they're just going to start grumbling about him, basically. Yeah, yeah serious grumbling. OK, <laughs> Gabe. Yeah, I think he it, it points out that Kurtz was uh, definitely ambitious. And I think that these two were kind of upset that, you know, he was putting himself out there and he got the position that he wanted. Meanwhile, they wanted basically the position that he had. Uh, they wanted the ability to go out and get that ivory and make names for themselves within the company. But Kurtz was the one who really stepped out and took advantage of the opportunity that he had. Yes, yeah, but but when we if we go just a little bit further, I think we had to point out that that essentially, um, you know, Kurtz is in an in an outer station. He's not like at a central station. And actually, Kurtz wants the manager's job. <laughs> you know, and and it's 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 opposite. It's funny is they want his job, but then he wants he's really after the manager's job because it's he wants to go up. Kurtz wants to go up in the company, but. I think we we uh, we also have to realize that Kurtz actually gets diverted from that because of what the ivory because of the <laughs> ivory right and so so but they're all they're all worried about you know what Kurtz could do to them and uh, you know essentially the manager is is upset that you know that uh, he wants his job but they actually want his job now I think it's another interesting quote here. And uh, uh, again, Marlowe uh, is is really good uh, good here about then bringing in his own ideas. And uh, if if you just like flip over a page, uh, the reason I want to bring this out is because it finally does show us that that kind of like Marlowe gets a first glimpse of um, you know in his own mind he gets his first glimpse of Kurtz now. In previous programs, we've talked about you know what other people say about Kurtz, but uh, this would be my page seventy-two, and I think uh, if you're uh, if you have the Bantam copy out there, listeners, um, it's uh, it would be, let's see, it would just be the f- you just flip right over to page forty-five. Forty-seven. But 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 anyway, uh, <clears throat> I'm just going to read the quote there. It says, "As to me, and again now, this is Kurtz, uh, not, not Kurtz talking, this is Marlowe talking about Kurtz. He said, as to me, I seem to see Kurtz for the first time. It was a distinct glimpse, the dugout, four paddling savages, and the lone white man turning his back suddenly on the headquarters, on relief, on thoughts of home, perhaps setting his face towards the depths of the wilderness, towards the, his empty and desolate station. I did not know the motive. Perhaps he was just simply a fine fellow who stuck to his work for its own sake. In other words, Marlowe wasn't an eight-to-five guy. <laughs> you know, he, 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 he worked a lot. 
Now, if uh, to, to really understand that, you have to remember that uh, uh, he had brought a lot of ivory into the central station, and uh, you know, he was not well. Uh, they, they wanted him to come back in, and he didn't come back in. He went back by himself. He had this uh, you know, servant bring in the, all the ivory, which made them all jealous, made the manager jealous, made his uncle jealous. And, uh, um, you know, they even said that Kurtz's assistant was like an English half-caste, so they're really negative about the whole thing. But, but the thing that I think is interesting here is this first glance of Kurtz is just in his imagination. So, I mean, I don't want to take all the time here, Earl, but anyway, that's what I think. So what do you think? Do you have any different thoughts on that? Or do you care? <laughs> all right that's my thought anyway well, well it, it does seem like he it is in his imagination uh, um there are it, it seems like there's he talks about hearing his voice at one another time it's like there's a lot in his that's um there's he thinks talks about his voice hearing his voice and which is really kind of there's no substance, you know. He, he's, he, it's something about just wanting to hear his voice, and so that's why um, it's interesting. Here, he, he just imagines that he could just be a simply, simply a fine fellow um, who stuck to his work for his own sake. So, there's a lot, there's a lot before he actually meets Kurtz. That's that's just kind of very indefinite and just imagination. Right. right. Okay. Gabe, anything there? Nope. Okay. Well, <laughs> the, the 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 point is, readers, what what I want you to see is is before Marlowe even meets Kurtz, he's got this, this uh, built-up imagination over what he really is. And uh, I, I, I think Conrad is just a master. It's, he's setting us up, too. I mean, all of us have read this book. You know, I've read it like four or five times, so I know what's going to happen. But still, there's a lot that, that really is, the more I read it, the more I see what's in here. And so, so uh, you know... Um, uh, Conrad is really uh, is really kind of helping us and setting us up to to get to the end. So so anyway, but he says it seems like he, you know he's heard all of these things. He's heard things from the managers. He's heard things from other people. He's going to hear more as we go on. But he says, look, I think I see Kurtz for the first time. And uh, essentially, when he does find him, uh, that's it, it's not the picture he's thinking of. And we'll, we'll talk about more of that today. So, uh, all right, let's, um, let's move on now. Um, let's say, uh, we're, so we get closer and closer to Kurtz. Um, uh, we, we know what the manager thought. They were astounded by how much he, uh, ivory he delivered to the central station. Um, then they were really, really shocked that he returned back to the interstation. Um, if, if you notice, uh, I, I think it's on like page 72, the same thing is, is uh, we, we were just on that, on, we're, we're just on that page now. But, but the point is, what the, the manager is so upset that, that um, you know, Kurtz goes back by himself with just four other rowers. So he's, I mean, he's got to go hundreds of miles to get back to the interstation. But but notice what Marlowe thinks about it. He thinks, well, that sounds really cool. I mean, this is really brave of him to do this, to go back with just just four people. And and again, it's it's like uh, the, the, what what uh, 
Conrad writes here is there's one white fellow, you know, with four blacks, and he trusts them enough to get him back to the interstation. And so, so uh, uh, essentially, you know, the the manager and the um, you know his uncle just are appalled that Kurtz would even think this way. And so, so I, I think it's it, it's uh, it's really kind of interesting. Now, again, we already mentioned this, but the manager is never going to say anything good about Kurtz because he just he uh, hates him, he's jealous of him, and he knows that Kurtz wants his job. All right, uh, let's just go ahead and move on now. Is uh, one other thing I think about this 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 uh, chapter that we're in, and and we're still in book two, by the way, uh, for all of you listening out there, is that that we hear so much about Kurtz, and it's like this is the whole goal, I guess, of of uh, Marlowe is to get Kurt, but but uh, if if you notice that Car- um, when we read through this, let's say we get through pages, uh, let's say in the Bannon book, you get through pages sixty nine and beyond, sixty nine to seventy five. In in my book, it's it's a little bit different, pages eighty nine. Is Marlowe's really ready to jump and to defend Kurt? He's never even met him yet, and so so. Uh, you know, it, it to, to me, it, it's really, you know, you know, kind of amazing that that he would do this. He's he's just ready to to, to defend him at the drop of a hat. Um, <clears throat> uh, let's see. All right, there's a paragraph, page ninety, and it says, um, uh, "This is this is a really a really good paragraph." Um, uh, this is Marlowe is actually talking to the four guys on the Nelly, and you know he's he's trying to justify um, you know what what he thinks about Kurtz. He says, "Absurd!" He cried. This is the worst of trying to tell. Here you all are, each moored with two good addresses, like a hawk with two anchors, a butcher in one corner, a policeman round the other, excellent appetites and temperature normal. You hear normal from year's end to year's end, and you say, absurd, absurd be exploded, absurd. My dear, my dear boys, what can you expect from a man who out of sheer nervousness had just flung overboard a pair of new shoes? Now I think of it, it was amazing. I did not st- shed tears. I am upon the whole proud of my fortitude. I was cut to the quick at the idea of having lost the inestimable privilege of listening to the gifted Kurtz. And so, so what he's really talking about is they're, they're almost at Kurtz. They're almost found Kurtz. And remember, they get attacked by the natives. And, and his, uh, the, the, uh, the native that took care of the steamship and kept it going um, you know, had been killed with a spear. And uh, you know, uh, Marlowe jumped down to help him, and he, just, he was just walking in the blood of the poor guy. And so, so he threw his shoes overboard because <laughs> they were covered with blood. And uh, you know, he said, he said, um, uh, now uh, the one one other thing that was being said is that the Kurtz was probably dead anyway. And so, so he's he's just saying, look, you know, this was driving him crazy. He said, of course I was wrong. The privilege was waiting for me. Oh yes, I heard more than enough, and I was right too. A voice. This is what you were saying, Deborah. He was very little more than a voice, and I heard him. It, this voice, other voices, all of them were so little more than voices, and the memory of that time itself lingers around me, impalpable like a lying, a dying vibration of one immense jabber, 
silly, atrocious, sordid, savage, or simply mean, without any kind of sense, voices, voices, even the girl herself now. And so the, the reason I want to bring that out is this is Conrad's technique. He's telling us it, 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 we haven't got to the story yet where he actually meets Kurtz. This, he's on the ship, and, and you, know, you can see, I mean, the, the thing is he's telling this yarn, and there's, there's four other guys there, and they're probably bored to tears because he goes on and on. I mean, this is a whole book worth of one story. It doesn't go over quickly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he hasn't even gotten to the story of how he meets him. And so he's really, he's really defending himself, and he's defending Kurtz, and they, he hasn't even got to the story of what he met. And so, so in some ways, um, you know, then, then the other narrator stops in there and says, he was silent for a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so you can see that even uh, when we get to the, to the end of these programs, I mean, he, I think Marlowe learned that, that Kurtz wasn't the biggest deal he thought he was, but yet he still defends him. And so, so I, I think, uh, to me, what Conrad is showing, to, uh, showing us is that Marlowe and Kurtz are pretty much alike. I don't know what you guys think of that. I don't know. I'd never thought of it quite like that before. I know, like, Conrad's writing this is like a journey into, like, the darkness, like, to see what's more or less in his like his own heart but i never would have thought of it quite like that i guess it does make sense though just traveling into the jungle and finally meeting kurtz i guess that would make sense as he's jungle as he's traveling in looking through all of this and then he meets this man that is basically what he has be or what he is what he has become right and maybe that's what he's become but no maybe he knows he's capable of it that's i would see that i could see that more that he's he's seeing the extent of <clears throat> what man can how man can can get into evil and and maybe he can see that in himself right i'm not i don't think that marlo actually went that far but <clears throat> but you know i think maybe he was, you know, he could have been like that. So or, remember or when, the, when the book opens, yeah. he's like the Buddha. Right. He's mm-hmm. teaching. And so, so I think mm-hmm. he's teaching here. Because, you know, when I was getting ready for the program, I went, why is he defending him so much? He hasn't even seen him yet. I mean, they, he hasn't got to the part of the story where he even meets him. And so, so uh, uh, notice he goes on. Uh, it's the, the, the narrator said uh, he was silent. The other narrator says he was silent for a long time. Now, Notice he goes on to say, and, and I never picked this up before getting ready for today. I lay the ghost of his gifts at last with a lie, he began suddenly. Girl, what? Did I mention a girl? Oh, she is out of it completely. They, the women I mean, are out of it, should be out of it. We must help them to stay in that beautiful world of their own, lest ours gets worse. So, so Deborah, you were involved in the panel where we talked about the intended. Yes, and right. This is what he's talking about. That's right, because because he did, he ended it with a lie. The lie telling her that he his last words were her name, but actually it was not. And yeah. so he he's, he's 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 letting us know ahead of time that this is what he does. Right, and mm-hmm. so you don't get that when you first read the book. You don't know what that means. You don't yeah. know what that yeah. means. And then mm-hmm. unless you're like me, you have to go back and produce a program on it. You're not going to figure <laughs> it out. But I. I Gabe, you were in class with me. Did you see that before? No, I never had. <laughs> no. So, so do you do you agree that's what's there? 
Yeah. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. amazing. It's amazing. So so all of you listeners out there, this is an amazing book. And uh, I, I know there, uh, as we talked about in the last programs, people want to say it's sexist. Don't read it. It's bad for you. I think it really is revealing. <laughs> he said, uh, um, and, he, and I also understand now what he was saying about, that, you know, in some ways people think when he says they have a beautiful world of their own, uh, you know, it could it could make it, you know, those uh, feminists see it as, oh, well, they just are, you know, putting women down. But notice there's a phrase there. He says, lest ours gets worse. In other words, a, men need a woman's view. That's right. And men men need the uh, need the ideal there, right. uh, you know, keeping it there. So, right. yes. And so anyway, mm-hmm. I get this. He says, he goes on to say, oh, she had to be out of it. You should have heard the disinterested body of Mr. Kurtz saying, my intended. You would have perceived directly then how completely she was out of it and the lofty frontal bone of Mr. Kurtz. Now, now I think, you know, this is funny and, and uh, uh, if you've had time to, to look through it before the program. But, but what does he say about Kurtz here? <laughs> I think this is hilarious. He's bald. <laughs> he's bald. <laughs> but no, not only is he bald, but he's bald like an ivory ball. It's kind of like the ivory is is taking him over. You know, he's become right. ivory. You right. know, which is the the uh, his his lust for ivory has taken him over. So, so in other words, <laughs> when we get to the end, where we're we're reading him, we're reading about Kurtz and Marlowe meeting. He doesn't say anything about him being bald. No. You know he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You know, but here, uh, you know, ahead of the ahead of the story where he's going to tell these four guys on the ship about meeting Kurtz, he's talking about being a bald head, and it was an ivory ball. It had caressed him, and lo, it had withered. It had taken him, loved him, embraced him, and got into his veins, consumed his flesh, and sealed his soul to its own by the inconceivable ceremonies of some devilish initiation. He was its spoiled and pampered favorite, ivory. I should think so. Heaps of it, stacks of it. The old mud shanty was bursting with it. You would think there was not a single tusk left either above or below the ground in the whole country. Mostly fossil, the manager had remarked despairingly. It was no more fossil than I am, but they call it fossil when it's dug up. It appears these blacks do bury the tusks sometimes, but evidently, they couldn't bury the parcel deep enough to save the gifted Mr. Kurtz from his fate. So to me, that's pretty revealing that, that here Marlowe does see he was a fated character. It's like he's a tragic hero. And so you know that, that comes out before we even get to the point where he meets him. And so, so I, I just thought you know, that, was, that was really kind of interesting. Um, he he goes on to say, he said, we filled the steamboat with it. So now he's talking about his return trip before he even tells them about how he arrives. <laughs> and so, so again, this is Conrad. And, uh, you know, Conrad definitely wants you to think. He said, he filled, we filled the steamboat with it and had to pile it a lot on the deck. Thus, he could see and enjoy it as long as he could see because the appreciation of this favor had remained with him to the last. You should have heard him say, my ivory, oh yes, I heard him, my intended, my ivory, my station, my river, my everything belonged to him. It made me hold my breath in expectation of hearing the wilderness burst into a prodigious peal of laughter that would shake the fixed stars in their places. Everything belonged to him, 
but that was a trifle. The thing was to know what he belonged to, how many powers of darkness claimed him for their own. So, so anyway, to, to me, um, you know, here we keep, uh, Conrad keeps moving us towards meeting him, but, but now it's like we hear the backstory. We hear it before we even get there. And so, so anyway, I just, I, I just thought that was, uh, you know, kind of fascinating. And it just seems like what, what Conrad wants to hit there more and more and more is how there's powers to darkness. There's a real power behind it. And here, Kurt is, the, Kurt is this great guy, but he's, he's lost to it. You know, he lost his, his uh, well, his uh, ideals. He lost what the intended wanted to give him. So, anyway, any more comments there? What's interesting, it keeps on re- talking about how he had taken a high seat among the devils of the land. I mean, it's kind of like he had become a god. We know that later on he, he's become a god to the, the natives there. And right. so he's kind of taken his place among the devils of the land. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he does say mm-hmm. a lot there. He, he, he said, I laid the ghost of his gifts at his last with a lie. So, you know, this when he's talking to, to uh, the intended. You know, it's like he's talking about his ghost and his gifts. So that he, he does see him as a gifted mm-hmm. person. Uh, also, if you go through that paragraph, um, we just talked about the many powers of the claim for his own. And uh, uh, then I think it's interesting he goes on to say, well, mind, I'm not, I'm not trying to excuse him. <laughs> but I, I don't know if I agree with that. I think he is trying to excuse him. Um, maybe uh, we're, we're going to run out of time for this program. Uh, maybe we could talk about the, uh, the pamphlet. You know, I, this would be, uh, let's see, for Bantam, for you Bantam people, this would be page 74 for you, and this would be page 92 for me. And so... Um, uh, it's it's in the middle of my page. Um, the, part of this it does show. Deborah and I were talking about this before the program. It said that his his. Uh, let me just see here. It said uh, the the edu- the original Kurtz had been educated partly in England, and he was good enough to say himself his sympathies were in the right place. His mother was half English, his father was half French. All Europe contributed to the making of Kurtz, and by and by I learned that most appropriately. The International Society for the Suppression of Savage Customs, and so so uh, uh, anyway, this is this is something that the company was really trying to promote, and I think this is what the intended was talking about. But uh, uh, maybe we could get Gabe's opinion. So, what does it mean there, Gabe, when it says his father was was half English, and his and uh, let's see, both were half English and half French, right? I guess I, that's. I think it's just funny because they say half, but they don't say what the other half was. Half English. What's the other half? Okay, does right. that mean she's she was half French? I don't know. I, just, I always thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> I don't know. What does that mean? Yeah. And he's so half English, sure. but is he half French then? I, don't I guess know. we're gonna have to. Wait. <laughs> we're gonna have to wait to talk to Conrad. All right. All right. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, he, he talks about this pamphlet that he had he had uh, actually brought back with him, and he had he had read it. He said, um, if you get down to the middle there, it says, but it was a beautiful piece of writing. The opening paragraph, however, in the light of a later information, strikes me now as ominous. He began with the argument that we whites, 
from the point of development we had arrived at must must necessarily appear to them, the savages, in the nature of supernatural beings. We approach them with the might of a deity, and so on and so on. He said, uh, but that's part of philosophy. Wasn't that part of, um, was that Kant's philosophy or was it uh, Nietzsche's philosophy of the super, the superman, the super being? And so this is probably all going around uh, uh, you know, Europe at that time. So anybody out there, if you know, you can write me now <laughs> and explain it to me. All right. So there we go. Get to, we'll get some comments in here. But he says, um, he said, uh, he goes on to say in this pamphlet, says by the, this, he's quoting Kurtz here, by the simple exercise of our will, we can exert a power for good practically unbounded. From the point he soared, and he took me with him, the per- peroration was magnificent, though difficult to remember, you know. It gave me the notion of an exotic enthusiasm or no, excuse me, an exotic immensity ruled by an august benevolence. It made me tingle with enthusiasm. This was the unbounded power of eloquence, of words, of burning noble words. There were no practical hints to interrupt the magic current of phrases unless a kind of note at the foot of the last page, scrawled evidently much later. And what he says there is exterminate all the brutes. <laughs> so, so... Uh, Anyway, so we can see that uh, Kurtz may have had all these lofty ideas, but in the end, it seems like he wanted to just exterminate the brutes. All right, well, as uh, it always happens to me, we're out of time for this program. So that's all the time we have for today's program. Next time, we'll continue our discussion of Kurtz, and I promise we'll actually get there. We'll actually get to see him. Now, you can buy Heart of Darkness at Amazon.com. You may be able to find a good used copy at abebooks.com. And you may be able to find a copy in your local bookstore, of course. You can also check your local library. Now, in a few weeks, we are going to begin our discussion of Lord Jim. So you may want to buy a copy of that book as well. So please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can also follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for Just the Best Literature. So, until next time, keep reading. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.